welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and we have a very special guest today, people. I've been telling you for weeks, and I'm sorry I didn't do it sooner. Chill out. Telling you for weeks, I want to start getting some of the best fantasy football minds from the industry back here on this podcast with so many finally getting back in their drafts. You know, I hope you've enjoyed the Fantasy Files series, some of the professional athletes we've been able to get on this podcast. Then the day, you want to know who to pick to win your league, and I want to start having these larger, general, position-specific, just more topical podcast now that we're actually close to fantasy drafts. So I want to talk all things quarterbacks today. And again, very special guest to help me do so. He is the connoisseur of context, fake football meteorologist, a sharp football analysis, the Swami of Konami, fellow fast talker, fellow we don't actually have ourselves pictured in our Twitter avatar guy, Rich Rebar, who you all know already as at Lord Reeves on Twitter. Rich, thanks so much for the time, man. How's it going? Yeah, and, and fellow Ohio fantasy football brethren. That's it. Uh, that's so it. We, we've got a lot of overlap. Uh, you you kind of hit on something in the lead-in that you know I've been thinking about with with training camps opening this week. You know, this is kind of the official kickoff of where the casual fans are starting. To, this is where it picks up, and the general public comes back. You know, we had this two-week period, maybe three weeks, where you know the, the running back dead zone got got exploited. Everyone was in on it. Wide receivers moved all those draft boards. Let's see if this this next, next month those wide receivers start to drop a little bit the running backs start to go back highly again uh but yeah this is the, the the month where we pick up and everyone's coming in and getting on a football mindset people are already doing a bad job of not taking training camp news too seriously we got people <laughs> actually believing tom brady threw three straight footballs into a jug machine and got shot back out today the rumor was that kelvin benjamin got released for stealing food from the cafeteria no people that is not true be better, but it is funny. And I'm just happy the timeline's full of football again, as you were saying, Rich. So as I said in the lead, we are going all things quarterbacks on this episode. You know, we'll obviously pay a little more attention to the top guys, but we'll try to touch on basically the top 20, top 25 guys one way or another. And Rich starts at the top. A 2018 QB1 was Patrick Mahomes. 2019 QB1, Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen took the crown in 2020. Who are you drafting and expecting to be 2021's overall QB1? Well, I mean, I mean, I'm not drafting because I'm not going to draft the first quarterback in my Fair. draft, <laughs> and nor should you guys. I mean, it, it's a chalky answer, but the, the player with the best odds obviously is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you look at what he's done so far to start his career. He's been the QB one, the QB six and the QB two in fantasy points per game is three seasons as a starter. Uh, he leads all quarterbacks in fantasy games of 20 plus points, 30 of those and games of three or more passing touchdowns, 21 of those since he became a starting quarterback. Uh, he, he just has the, the best kind of the plurality he's mobile too. he's run more the past, you know, year and a half, basically ever since he came back from that weird kneecap injury, uh, he's, he's been really mobile. Uh, so you get kind of the best of both worlds, uh, with Mahomes. Uh, I will say though, that this, there is a definite by the dip situation with Lamar Jackson, especially as we talked about more casual leagues start to, uh, get underway here. You know, your home leagues, the guy that took Lamar Jackson first is probably not going to want him, you know, at all this year. And he might drop to QB four QB five maybe sometimes even lower because we've got such a good pocket of quarterbacks at the top, but we knew that regression was coming for Lamar Jackson last year. I mean, he was on a team that scored on 57% of their drives. He won the league MVP. Uh, we knew that the regression was coming. People I think overcooked that regression into kind of his future outlook. Um, and we've seen him kind of get going the second half of the season. He, I would buy the dip on him for sure. He, he is my QB two. Uh, if he wants to follow the QB four QB five range in your draft, I mean, I would gobble him up. Interesting enough. Enough, Josh Allen is now in that same position that Lamar Jackson was in last year. Uh, the Bills, they scored uh, on 55% of their drives last year. It was the highest rate in the NFL. They punted on just 26% of their drives in 2020. It was the lowest uh, mark in the league uh, since uh, 1999. Uh, <laughs> then you look at uh, teams like the Bills last year of the previous 20 teams that led the league in scoring rate per drive. Not one of them came back and scored at a higher rate the following year. Uh, so there is going to be a little bit of recall coil with the, with the bills as well. The good news is, is that we have a pretty good example in fantasy of Josh Allen being a, a stable fantasy quarterback while he was a bad passer. Uh, so we do his, his drops not going to be precipitous, but I think that a lot of people that take him at QB one QB two are not factoring in some of that recoil that we saw with Lamar Jackson fantasy likes to eat its own tail a lot. And uh, you know, I think we'll see Josh Allen at six and a half percent touchdown rate kind of come back down uh, you know, a little bit um, and we'll see some kind of, you know, teams kind of really Really slow the bills down, but we saw it towards the end of last year too. I mean, you look in the playoffs, uh, you know, Spags obviously got him both times 
offense last year because where Josh Allen still did struggle even his breakout uh, was against pressure. I mean, he had 8.6 yards for pass attempt when kept clean, 6.6 yards per attempt under pressure. Uh, that was uh, that two point yards per difference uh, under pressure versus kept clean was the 25th largest differential in the league. So he still does have a little bit of hiccups, but um, like I said, with with him just being a bulldozer, being arguably probably the the most the strongest quarterback in the league now that we can count on for a full season because we can't count on for Cam Newton. Um, you still they're going to have a safe floor, Josh Allen. But I do think that just rolling over last year's stats to Josh Allen uh, will probably leave you feeling a lot like people felt with Lamar Jackson at the end of last season. Starting at the top, Patrick Mahomes. He's averaged the most fantasy points per game ever among any quarterback ever. He's the one. He's our one. He's your one. My my one. Whoever's listening to it, probably your one. We get that. I will say though, man, you, me, Evan Silva, and Johnny Daigle on the last ever. Roto World uh, Friday night best ball stream. We did it about six <laughs> the first weeks and ago. Last. First and last. Uh, if you happen to tune in to anyone out there, uh, you know, you saw a lot of cursing, a lot of whiskey drinking, a lot of good laughs. A horrendous fantasy football team was, you know, picked between us uh, alleged experts on that. But throughout all that, there was one really big takeaway I had. And that was basically what you were just talking about with Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. And the big thing Evan said was just like, you know, don't draft in 2021 just based on what happened in 2020. These guys are going to, you know, don't want to just hang the R word out in every single answer, but they are going to regress because it's so damn hard to be that good again. Aaron Rodgers is not going to throw a touchdown on over 9% of his attempts again this year, because who the hell can do that anyway? You can't do it back to back years. It's just so hard for them to keep that sustainable high level rate. And for Lamar, man, he owns the top three seasons in rush attempts by a QB in NFL history. That floor is so hard to come by that when it does look at between Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, I'm leaning Lamar now as my QB two. I'm with you on that. And Josh Allen, even with the touchdown rate regressing, man, I wonder too, like pretty soon the bills are going to have nine figures worth of reasons to not let this dude have a top three run rate inside the 10 yard line. I know he, you can't always pull the YOLO, you know, the DJF ball out of Josh Allen. He's gotten a lot better and not, you know, throwing double covered passes to his fullback in the playoff game uh, in, in recent history. But I just don't know if he's going to continue to have this, you know, top design run rate. That's why I like Zach Moss as a late round uh, runner and all that. So it's a tough call, but I do think Lamar deserves to be the QB two, And I'm happy to hear that you're on the same page. Now, someone that's also in this mix, tier one quarterback, Kylo Murray, big news bit that I think came out before training camp. Otherwise it'd be getting, you know, a ton of attention. Kyler wants to depend a little bit less on his run on his legs uh, in the running game. Obviously last year, that was pretty much the only consistent good part of this offense other than when they <laughs> threw the ball, Deandre Hopkins, are you buying this the case? And do you think Kyler's going to again, be, you know, threatening for the uh, position rushing league, or do we have to worry about Kyler as more of a pocket passer? Yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't expect him to lead all quarterbacks in rushing points again like he did last year because, you know, he didn't have as many yards as Lamar, but he had the 11 rushing touchdowns. Uh, Murray's rushing production accounted for 44.6% of his fantasy output last year after just 30.6% as a rookie. I think we'll see some merging uh, of those two worlds, but stuff like that is always kind of wishful thinking. When feet are to the fire, I mean, I believe the Cardinals and Murray are going to do what they have to do in the moment to, to win games and, and, to, and to move the sticks. And you look at last year, Kyler Murray, I mean, through nine games last year, he was dominant. I mean, he was averaging just under 30 points per fantasy game. He was a top five score in seven of his first nine games, obviously as a shoulder injury kind of never really bounces back, you know, from that point on the thing about Kyler that is really intriguing about him from a fantasy stance is that he just has so much more room to grow as a passer, which not a lot of people, you know, take into account. Um, he did lift his completion percentage, his yards for pass attempt and his touchdown rate over his rookie season numbers. But if you look at like passer rating index and, um, uh, you know, how those things compare to league averages, he was still right around the base rate, just about everywhere, uh, you know, and, and below the watermark in a number of categories. Uh, and, and where he can get really get aided is if the Cardinals and cliff just kind of get out of their own way and stop putting, Kyler Murray in such terrible situations. I mean, you look at last year, Arizona was 27th in the NFL in first down passing rate. Uh, unlike a team like the Ravens with Lamar Jackson, Arizona was just 20th in yards per rushing play on first down. Uh, and they average just 3.9 yards per carry amongst the running backs uh, when they ran with the running backs in those situations. Um, so with that, Murray ended the season 31st in the league in percentage of pass attempts to come on first down. Yet when he threw on first down and the Cardinals threw the ball on first down, he was seventh in amongst all quarterbacks in completion rate, 14 
14th in yards per attempt uh, in, in those situations. Uh, but then when you look at when Arizona was pressed into obvious passing situations because they didn't throw the football enough on first down, uh, his efficiency just crumbled. 39.1% uh, of his pass attempts came in bad situations, which are second and third downs, eating seven or more yards to go. And he was in the bottom of the league in efficiency in almost all of those spots. Uh, so if Cliff can kind of get out of his own way, they can kind of gear and be up a more for, for being the air raid, or I call it the horizontal raid. <laughs> they aren't, they aren't raiding the air in early downs uh, at all. And then when you look at Kyler too, I think the one last like feather in a cap he has outside of just going back to the front half last season when everything was firing in all capacity. I mean, his opening schedule is just amazing. I mean, he opens with Tennessee, the Vikings. So I think we think we'll be better. And the Jaguars uh, and, you know, in 16 career games against bottom half defenses, he's averaged 260 passing yards per game and 7.8 yards per attempt, as opposed to 6.4 yards per attempt and just 220 passing yards per game. Uh, otherwise. So, I mean, he definitely is in contention as well with that first group that we talked about earlier to be the QB one overall. Yeah, he's absolutely in that top tier. Look, the best single season fantasy quarterback we've ever seen was 2019 Lamar Jackson, 27.7 fantasy points per game. As you brought up in those first nine games, Kyler was at 29.3. Like we have evidence of Kyler being capable of being the most productive fantasy quarterback ever. You can't say that about many professional football players. And for Kyler, we can would also bring up last year. Lamar Jackson said the same thing in the offseason that he wasn't going to lean on his legs as much. 8.3 rush attempts before the Ravens by 12.1 one rush attempts per game after Kyler, you know, it's great that he wants to say this, but if the offense is coming out and they're averaging 20 points per game with him, not running, I think we're going to see that, you know, shift in his mind pretty quickly. I am just worried about cliff though, man. It's that one quote from after they drafted <laughs> Rondale where he goes, we got Hopkins, we got AJ and now Rondale slides into the other group. It's like, no, why is AJ being given the benefit of the doubt over Rondale over Christian Kirk over any, Andy Isabella over any of these guys, unfortunately it might be the case. Here's the hope and cliff can figure this out in 2021 and beyond now rich we're talking about kyler patrick lamar definitely tier one guys the other two guys i got in my tier one dak prescott and uh obviously josh allen too but dak prescott russell wilson right there at number six who do you think has the better chance of being the overall qb1 dak or russ I think between the two, it's it's obviously I'm going to go with Dak just because we factor in overall offensive climate, being younger, the division kind of schedule outlook, not playing in the NFC West, uh, just all kind of favored Dak. I mean, you look at in 2019, not even going back last year, he was the QB three in points per game. And then last year, he obviously until he had that really bad ankle injury was number one in points per game uh, through those five games, just due to the offensive climate and them just having to go just bananas catching points up, uh, you know, the second half of almost every one of those games. Uh, he was also having a career high five and a half point rushing points per game last year as well. So we're gonna have to wait to see if the ankle has any impact in that area. Uh, if there's any kind of, you know, it slows him down a little bit. He's not running quite as much, but everything is still in place for Dak Prescott to really thrive in fantasy. Um, and you see a lot of people trying to build cowboy stacks earlier and get sniped on Dak and really be angry. But I will say this about Russell Wilson though, because I, I don't want to leave him for dead either is I really am excited to see the Seattle offense and, and what they do with Sean Waldron. I mean, this is a team that's going to run a lot more West coast yaks, centric uh type of uh incorporate a lot of those kind of concepts whereas you know under brian schottenheimer they were a lot of team that was run play action take deep shots we saw that halfway through the season a lot of teams gave them a lot of too high safety looks we saw the clip of dk metcalf talking to brandon marshall about that as well when teams were able to take that away seattle didn't have a great counter punch you see them add a guy like gerald everett add a Dwayne eskridge uh who unfortunately starts uh you know camp on the pup list so we'll monitor that but they then they bring in a guy like sean waldron who comes from not only did he work under sean mcveigh but he worked under josh mcdaniels he worked under charlie weiss uh they're going to incorporate a lot of different things this just going to be a McVeigh in offense. Um, they're going to bring a lot of things to the table here. And I'm kind of excited to see how the pieces come together, uh, you know, for Russ this year. Uh, Cause I still believe that he also, obviously we see every year, the first half of the season, he goes bonkers. Let's see if he can go the full 17 weeks now for us. Just another two quarterbacks that have literally last year flashed that overall QB one upset. I mentioned Lamar's all-time best single season points per game mark. Dak's number two. If we don't want to, you know, put a game cap limit on it. And Russell Wilson, as great as Kyler was in that first stretch, Russ was right behind him during that mm -hmm. same stretch. Now we don't have the shoulder injury or anything like that to blame Russ. We just have him, you know, having these unstable elements, the deep balls, the broken plays out of the pocket, come back to, you know, just life a little bit because you can't be that big of a world beater. For 
for that long. So I think the rushing uh, upside is really the key factor. Like, will Dak continue to, you know, have this sort of goal line equity? If not, it's going to be the Ezekiel Elliott show might be anyway, but with Russ, the one thing that we did see come back last year was 32.1 rushing yards Mm -hmm. per game. The two previous years, it's like they weren't even tapping into that. So Russ is someone that, you know, originally I think I was focusing more and that's why I was stumbling through the question at first. I was focusing more on my top five guys and leaving Russ more in that tier two. But the more I look at it, I think he probably deserves to be right there in the conversation. And even if we still want to put him in tier two, he does have that overall QB one upside and that a Metcalf quote you referenced specifically uh, was we've been running deep, deep pass ever since uh, Pete got there, play action, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, go deep. Teams just said, we're not just going to let you all go deep. Hey, it helps that, you know, three, they had to play the Rams three times in that second half, the team that really kind of showed the problems with this and how you could just stay in too high. You got the offensive coordinator from that team. He might know a thing or two about stopping that defense. Here's the hoping that Russ and company figure this out even more in 2021. Now, Rich, we got several second-year quarterbacks that are finding their way in the top 12 ADP. Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert. Just for 2021 redraft, which one of these guys do you want on your squad? I mean, the guy I'm going to draft the most will be Burrow because he's the cheapest uh, uh, pretty easily here. Uh, then we'll, we'll talk about all these guys. I'll touch on them all a little bit, but definitely Burrow. And you talked about A.J. Green just a minute ago with Kyler Murray. Just the fact of removing A.J. Green from Joe Burrow's equation is, is it's huge, man. He targeted A.J. Green in 19.2% of his passes last season, but they connected on just 45.3% of those passes, 4.7 yards per target, one touchdown pass, targeting up. Other Bengal players, Burrow completed 72.8% of his passes, 7.4 yards per uh, target, 12 touchdowns on deep balls. Uh, I know the PFF uses 20 yards. I do over 15 yards, uh, but overthrows 15 yards downfield. Uh, Burrow and AJ Green connected on just three of 27 targets. You know, everyone knocks Burrow's deep ball. Burrow didn't have a great deep ball, but when Burrow wasn't targeting AJ Green deep, he completed 44.6% of his passes, which was right a little bit of a league baseline rate. So, I mean, just replacing AJ Green with Jamar Chase and obviously of the shower, you know, narrative in, in play <laughs> just gives Burrow so much more uh, upside because we're just not wasting, you know, 20%, a fifth of his targets anymore, uh, just into the black void. Uh, and he's the cheapest. So I will have those guys. I think hurts. It's really easy to make the case for Jalen hurts. And I kind of laid this out, uh, to, uh, you know, our old, old you know, uh, NBC sports edge now brother and Hayden wink. <laughs> so he's asking now did Jalen hurts his ADP get here. And it's really easy. One, we have the indoctrination of everyone wants mobile quarterbacks. Sorry about that guys. Um, and then you, he has the exact same overlap of the two players. We just seen break out in Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Nobody thought that Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson had the passing ceilings that they had in the seasons that they just had. No one's going to let wait a third year in a row. Not everyone's just going to say, oh, well, we're going to ignore that for a third year in a row because we don't think Jalen Hurts can throw. We just did it for two years, and those guys ended up being the QB1 on overall scoring. And I know Allen was, what, like QB3 in points per game. Uh, but no one wants Semantics. to hold that again. So it's factored in. That's factored in to people's mindsets with Jalen Hurts. You don't want to miss again. Uh, and then when you look at Jalen Hurts, uh, he was really, uh, you know, he, he would, he had the fewest amount of pass attempts among rookie quarterbacks from percentage dance from a clean pocket. Uh, Brandon Brooks tore his Achilles last year. Lane Johnson missed nine games. Isaac Samuel missed seven games. Uh, they had to go to Jason Peters and bring him back. He ends up missing a ton of time. Uh, overall, it was the most injured offensive line in the NFL, uh, in terms of adjusted games lost just ahead of the Cowboys. We talked about Dak Prescott. So, I mean, you're going to have a healthy offensive line. You add Devonte Smith. There, there's an out still here for Jim hurts to be a lot better of a passer here than he showed in his rookie season. And, and you look at his rookie season uh, on a per game basis, it looks a lot like the end of Lamar Jackson's rookie season when people had these same conversations coming into 2019. And then Lamar Jackson blows the doors off of everybody. I will say that I am a little worried about the third guy. And we and you've had a couple Twitter exchanges about this just because at his draft cost, Justin Herbert, I mean, it feels aggressive because I don't see him as much of a full dual threat option is all the guys we talked about to this point, uh, kind of at that tier. Cause he goes in ADP, he goes right after those guys. Uh, and then he won in some really unique fashions as a rookie that I'm not so sure is sustainable, but I also don't want to knock him for it too, because you know, when good player, good players make good plays when they're not supposed to. Uh, and then you also look at the chargers there. Another team you have to earmark for tighter passing rushing touchdown splits. They had a 72% to 28% uh, passing touchdown to rushing touchdown split. Uh, league rate was 62% over the previous 
previous 10 years, there's been 107 teams that have been over a 70% passing touchdown split. 90 of them went back and had a loss and passing touchdown rate uh, the following season. So I do think the Chargers will have more rushing touchdowns just naturally this year. Um, but then you have to factor in too. We talked about Burrow losing AJ Green. Herbert just losing Anthony Lynn is a huge deal. I talked about a little bit with Kyler Murray. Last year's uh, Charger staff had Justin Herbert throw 35% of his passes on first down. That was 39th in the NFL. Uh, the Chargers had the 10th highest run rate on first downs, despite being 29th in success rate and 29th in yards to running play on those plays. By, as, a, as a byproduct, Justin Herbert led the NFL with 253 pass attempts on second to fourth down, needing seven or more yards to go. It was 42.5% of his passes that took his profile. But in those bad spots, he converted 38% of those for first downs. That was second in the NFL, and his passing stats just were wild. So he, he, he thrived in those like spots he wasn't supposed to thrive in. Uh, but then when you look from like a clean pocket, he averaged just 7.1 yards per attempt. That was 31st in the league. That was below Daniel Jones. Ooh. It was below uh, Kyler Murray, who he talked about too. Uh, so there is like a little bit of a downside that might not be cooked in. I'm a little more cautious that I'm paying top dollar for Herbert off of his rookie season because I don't want to be 27 Carson Wentz again. And we did it with Baker two years ago yeah. too. The, the, another guy that doesn't really add a ton of rushing. I think you know Herbert adds a lot more than Baker does. Um, but I, I just don't feel like if I miss out on Herbert's best season this year at 80, where he goes and drafts, that it's going to break my teams. Like I'm going to really regret it. Uh, so I wish he was a little bit cheaper. I think at ADP, uh, he would be one of the top 10 guys. Like I would probably say like, we'll be one of the better odds to have be a disappointing this year. I think he becomes a better real life quarterback, but isn't quite as good as a fantasy quarterback on a per game basis this year. Very fair. And I mean, he wouldn't be the first great rookie fantasy quarterback to just take a slight step back. I mean, right now we've only had seven QB ones as a rookie since 2010 cam Andrew luck, RG three, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, most recently, Justin Herbert. Now I'm not predicting he's going to get hurt like RG three, or, you know, just have no semblance mm -hmm. of a number one, like Dak did with, you know, late career, Des Bryant, such a shame, but with Herbert, like you said, he made such a living on unstable things. Like he, him being the single best quarterback under pressure last year, Mm -hmm. that's great. Like the touchdown he had against the saints, multiple free rushers. He can avoid it, make plays. I'm so happy. He's able to do that. We shouldn't necessarily expect him to be that good again, though, in these unstable environments. Meanwhile, someone like burrow had a, you know, some people want to critique the deep ball. I'm with you more a factor of AJ green, not being open when he was throwing deep. Why was every other receiver just fine when it happened? But we look at the stable metrics for burrow, not under pressure, not throwing deep from a clean pocket. He was PFS fifth highest graded quarterback, straight dropbacks, fourth, First and second down fifth, no play action. Seventh percentage of negatively graded throws just second. So maybe Herbert can get there still on volume and stuff, but you know, even with the coaching change, as much as that might help his real life development, we don't know if we're going to see the same fantasy friendly uh, signal caller. And then with Jalen hurts, are you buying any of this talk where they are still refusing to call this dude, the starter? I mean, Joe Flacco is there. I don't want to get too crazy, but all of a sudden we have Watson trade rumors popping up Flacco standing there. You know, he's at least a guy there. And I don't know, man, like it is a point where, okay. He, if you take his four game sample size, 184 carries over an entire season, most ever, it's just going to be hard to bust at that. And even though he was a poorly graded passer, he did clear 300 yards twice. We couldn't say that about Josh Allen until his third year in the league, I guess. Is her someone, I know we're talking redraft, so I, I'm, I'm with you overall. Is her someone that people should be looking to sell sooner rather than later? Because I just don't see the Eagles, like I, just maybe one quote over the offseason saying he's our guy. Would it be that hard? Yeah, I think from a dynasty perspective, he's a guy, obviously, given my background of pursuing the quarterbacks of Jalen Hurts' archetype, I took him in the second round of, of almost every super flex league I could last year. And I've sold him in about 75% of those. There we go. Okay. Um, <laughs> just, you know, just because you, you you have this new staff that's not tied to him, you have the unknown factor of, you know, kind of if he doesn't, even if he's just okay this year, he doesn't have to be bad. They could easily move on. This is a team that has the draft equity to do basically whatever they want, carte blanche if they're not sold on them next year to have high picks or if Deshaun Watson does become free and these legal matters open up, I do believe there's a lot of fire to this, them pursuing Deshaun Watson. And they definitely have, like I said, the draft equity to make a play for him. So I think there's just a lot of, you know, elements in the air that could pull Jalen hurts, you know, down where his, you know, dynasty stock is at an all time high right now. And you can really profit. You know, I was able to flip him for, you know, multiple first round picks in leagues. I got a first round pick and Zach Wilson for him in a league. And I'm just going to cash out on my dollar in a lot of situations, <laughs> uh, you know, like that. But I will say, like I said earlier about Jalen hurts, like don't discount that. Like 
he cannot be a better passer. Like he absolutely can. Um, the one thing that he did in year one as a rookie is he just always wanted to go for the home run ball. He just, he, he wanted to throw deep. If you look at like his a dot, it was the highest in the NFL last year. And it played a big factor into his completion percentage, which was critically low, but he also from an expected completion percentage rate was also the lowest, uh, because he just kept throwing deep. So if Nick Sirianni is going to reel this in and they, you know, just, just have him throw some easier passes, uh, give him some freebies, not just always look for the home run ball. Uh, there's a, a, an easy Avenue for those types of things to spike. And especially when you're not just throwing, you know, passes to Greg Ward, uh, you know, every week as well. And you've got an absolute, you know, good player like Devonte Smith to throw the ball to you. So, um, there definitely is upside there. I think from redraft from a redraft stance, his ADP is fine. Even though, like I said, a lot of that ceilings cooked in based on the two breakouts we said, but he is one of those guys. unlike Herbert, like him hit his, his hitting his ceiling is a problem for you to, to arbitrage. Yeah. Like, you know, like I feel like, like the best season Justin Herbert can have, I can arbitrage that to a degree in my fantasy draft. Like we talked about a guy like Burrow. I think that he fits in that, in that mold where if Jalen hurts hits, there aren't a lot of guys that go after Jalen hurts in drafts that can hit that ceiling. There's very few. And a lot of them are rookie quarterbacks that we'll talk about, but that's really it because everyone, like I said, has been indoctrinated to know this is the archetype of quarterback you want from a fantasy stance. If you want to have a guy break the bank. And those O-line injuries can't be overstated. Mm -hmm. I I was writing up, uh, you know, Carson Wentz on the Colts and I I like two or three times I like found it. Oh, I forgot about this guy being hurt. Oh, this dude didn't even play the entire season. Like when Wentz got sacked like nine times in week one against Washington, we probably should have just drawn a big X to the rest of the Eagles throughout the year. We will, uh, you know, continue to watch the film and get better. All right, man. Now we got the next kind of tier. It's veteran low kind of rushing floor uh, signal callers, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford should have fairly prolific passing attacks. I don't think anyone's doubting that we are seeing the age get up there though. Again, and we just don't have the rushing floor that everyone is now obsessed with. Thanks to your fine work over the years, current ADP Brady's QB 11. This is courtesy of the fine folks over underdog Brady QB 11, Rogers QB 10 Stafford QB 13, Matt Ryan QB 17 pick one rich. Who do you think falls below where they're being drafted right now? Well, I'll do a caveat. I, I, it's, it's Aaron Rodgers. He's not going to be QB 10 by the time all these August drafts wrap up. He's going to bounce right back to, I think, QB six, probably in that area, maybe even higher for yeah. some of the uh, old school people that don't want runners and they want to base their, uh, those you know, their drafts off of passing first. Listen, I mean, my father-in-law is definitely picking Aaron Rodgers first <laughs> over all those other guys. Uh, but even for a player that has, a, has, has had as decorated career as Aaron Rodgers, 2020 was just absolutely insane for he and the Packers. I mean, so the Packers, uh, they scored on 54% of their drives, which was just, just below the bills, but they scored the difference between them and the bills is they scored a touchdown on 43% of their drives. They were just a third team in NFL history to score a touchdown on over 40% of their drives. Uh, the previous two teams scored 26 and 20 fewer offensive touchdowns the following season. So if you just do that on a per game basis, uh, you, you know, even with us adding a game, it's a significant drop. They scored a touchdown once every 97.3 yards gained on offense, easily the most proficient mark of the modern era. The only other team to be below 100 yards was the 2007 Patriots. Um, then you look at Rogers career high completion percentage, career high touchdown passes, 9.1% touchdown rate that you alluded, alluded to earlier. He led all passers in red zone points, despite being sixth and expected point scored in red zone, 35 red zone passing touchdowns after he had 16 or fewer passing scores in each of the three previous seasons in the red zone. He had a 42.7 red zone touchdown rate per pass attempt. His previous career high was 36%. Uh, <laughs> Um, he was, he was 36 of 44 passing with 29 touchdowns, zero interceptions inside the 10 yard line. Like what the hell, what the hell is all that? Oh like, my that is, God. It is absolutely insane. He threw eight touchdowns from the one yard line last year. <laughs> the next, the next highest quarterback had four, uh, even for a quarterback that's had the career of Aaron Rodgers has had regression is going to find him. And it has found him in the past. I mean, this was the fifth time in his career. He's had a red zone rate over 30% and just one once has he done it in back-to-back seasons. Uh, I don't think he fully reverts back to the quarterback we saw pre LaFleur, uh, even though he did, he was there in 2019, but he was absolutely flawless. You heard the stats that has dropped absolutely <laughs> flawless throwing the football last year. And he was still the QB four in points per game. I mean, it's just, 
it's just really tough for him to ask, ask even a player of Aaron Rodgers caliber to just duplicate what he did last year. Cause it was so insane. And even if he did, he still was outscored by three of the quarterbacks on a point per game basis. It's just so crazy, man. Um, it's, and it's because his rushing has decreased the past four years. Yeah. We talked about it. Maybe he has a Russell Wilson situation, uh, where he bounces back, but he obviously wasn't a runner like Russ, but, uh, I don't think we no longer can count on him to really contribute. Even though I wouldn't count him as like a non-mobile quarterback, but from a fantasy stance, you're not counting on Aaron Rodgers to give you any rushing production, really. I enjoyed the hell getting that discount on him an underdog for the past yeah. month or so, but yeah, people don't go chasing this. You know, unfortunately I was a doofus that had Rogers on my fade list last year for many of the reasons you just brought up. This guy was the QB 14 in points per game in 2019, the QB 10 in 2018. He was still a great real life quarterback during this stretch. I mean, Rogers said it himself like early in the year, he said a down year for me is still a career year for most guys. Yeah. But when he's not running, man, things become that much more difficult. And we see this again and again and again. You know, even as great as Patrick Mahomes was in 2019 when he won the Super Bowl, his touchdown rate still went down by 3.2% compared to 2018 because it's just hard to score that many damn touchdowns per attempt. So we know on the rushing floor. And again, like we're playing fantasy football. We're not playing real life football. Right. So when he's the QB four after being easily the best quarterback in the league, what's that tell you? Same thing like Derrick Henry runs for over 2,000 yards. Can't, you know, be RB1 or RB2. It's just the right. game we play is fantasy football and we need to play the rules Accordingly, I am with you there. I'm going to also add uh, Matt Ryan. At QB 17, it's reasonable, but I, he's not someone I think really just has the upside anymore, man. I'm really concerned with these splits with and without Julio Jones. And I've, you know, barked on this podcast plenty about, you know, quarterbacks are better with their wide receiver ones just because of a, you know, eight game sample from Baker Mayfield and OBJ. And the one stat I love to drop is that Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill averages the same increase in yards per attempt as Baker does without OBJ. Now, no one within their right mind would try to say the Chiefs are better off without Tyreek Hill. It's an issue of a small sample, people. Now with Matt Ryan, we have a larger sample without Julio. 27 games, in fact, 0.8 fewer yards per attempt, 1.5 lower big-time throw rate, higher turnover-worthy play rate, lower adjusted completion rate. Is Matt Ryan someone you're trying to grab in these later rounds, or are you looking elsewhere? No, I usually have a quarterback by the time we get yeah. there. And if I'm just going like the full streaming route, if I miss on someone that I was really targeting, uh, there's some other, you know, guys, I think that I would target for like week one or early season schedules if I was forced to go <laughs> that route. So he's, he's not really, he hasn't really been on my radar. He's just kind of neutral to me. Like you said, there's a reason why he's QB 17. Like no one's really in or out on him. Like it's just, you know, kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of one of those guys. Like no one's ever excited to have Matt Ryan. You won't go broke with him, but you're not really going to like yeah. profit either. Yeah, so Aaron Rodgers, we'll see where the ADP settles. I slid him just ahead of Justin Herbert at QB7, which, you know, is steep. I'm probably not going to be getting a ton of them there. Uh, we'll see how that eventually plays out. Let's talk some rookies now. Going from all these immobile veterans to some gunslinging mobile rookies. Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. We're talking 2021 redraft only. Who are you taking first? I mean, I'm taking Lawrence because if I'm in a one-quarterback league, I don't, I, you can't take a guy that's not starting. Now, maybe in the next three weeks, we have full, fuller clarity yeah. on this. I will say both coaches, what they've said so far are the things they just should say. No, Kyle Shanahan and Matt Nagy have no incentive to come out right now and say, Justin Fields is the starter. Trey Lance is the starter because if they come out and they're horrible in camp and then they're horrible in the preseason, everyone's watching it. It's harder to walk back on. Yeah. Now, if you say, Hey, these guys have to earn it. And then Justin Fields or Trey Lance or both play well in camp play well in preseason. It's you can walk back. No one's going to care that they, that Matt Nagy declared Andy Dalton, the starter in June and walks back on it in August. No one's going to throw their arms up in the air. Uh, but I will say if I'm drafting today, we also can't count on those guys starting week one either. And if I'm in a one quarterback league, listen, I'm exiting that draft with one quarterback. Yeah. I'm not using any bench equity on backup quarterbacks in any of the leagues I'm in. And it makes these guys interesting because they are, are the archetype you would want to target, right? Like these are the guys when they're on the board, when these guys are starting, they're going to be fantasy relevant. We saw Jalen hurts last year. He came in week 13 immediately in everyone's ranks, everyone DFS were flocking to those guys. So that's kind of a, you, you need a little deeper bench leagues to kind of really, I think to really get excited at this point of the summer, maybe like I said, we get some more clarity, but I'm, I'm only drafting one quarterback. And if I'm only a draft one quarterback, my one quarterback league, I'm using a guy I think is going to play from week one. And uh, I know that they herbs got these herbs got Minshew and Lawrence <laughs> rotating reps too. But uh, I think we all know Lawrence is going to be starting in week 
week one. And then Lawrence also, he's a good athlete, 56 percentile career athlete, um, you know, amongst all quarterbacks since 2000. Uh, he's, he's, he's got good rushing production. And also we know what is herbs offense. You know, this being a Columbus guy, dude, shotgun power runs. Like he's going to be a factor in the, in the, yeah. in, inside the 10 yard line. Like they're going to use him. He's a big guy. Uh, so, I mean, you got to talk about game script and mobility, like the Jaguars are going to, they have potential to be kind of fun. Uh, I believe we took Lawrence and had this conversation in our draft, maybe one of our only good draft picks. But uh, <laughs> if I'm forced to pick a guy, I'm going to pick Lawrence. The other guys, uh, they're, I'm intrigued, but I feel like they've been a little overdrafted in one quarterback format so far. Because um, the best ball mindset, they're great. You want these guys in best ball, right? Like I wanted to have Fields where he goes, and I want to have Lance where he goes because if they do start in my best ball leagues, I just get their best weeks. But when I'm turning my roster in the early season when it's the most relevant to turn your roster in fantasy football. I don't want to be saying like, Oh, I took a bag of quarterback. Now I can't cut a guy. I've got six guys on my bench, but I have to keep this extra spot for this quarterback. Cause if this guy plays, he, I'm going to want to play him. I just want to go down the road. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it with Tony Pollard. I'm not sure. So, and if he's a running back, I'm not going to do it with a quarterback. So yeah. like uh, just really tough spot, I think in one quarterback leagues to really be aggressive on those guys. Although I do believe when they play, uh, they will be on the board to be streamers. One quarterback caveat fair. Can't draft a guy that you're not going to be able to start. I get you on that. I will say though, I think, you know, it's a little bit different when not, I was exploring this idea earlier in the off season with Taysom and Jameis. I get mm-hmm. it. When you're drafting Zeke in round one, you don't draft Pollard in round 10. If you're setting yourself up for your first round pick to bust, you're not going to win your fantasy league regardless. When it turns to two guys that are probably both taking double digit round picks. So I think that's where you can consider it a little bit more. And I just think, man, when week 10, week 11 comes along and fields, Lance and Lawrence are all starting, we're going to want Trey Lance on our football team. And I'm not a huge schedule guy, but when I see these prolonged stretches with it, it's hard to ignore, man. And my goodness, these 49ers, Week 11, Jaguars. <laughs> week 12, Vikings. Week 13, Seahawks. Week 14, Bengals. Week 15, Falcons. Week 16, Titans. And we get the Texans in the fantasy football championship for Trey freaking Lance in the best offense with the best play caller of the group. I had Lawrence ahead of Lance earlier in the offseason. Maybe I'm drinking too much of Kool Aid. I've been watching, you know, look at the same stats for four straight months. I shouldn't be uh, reneging on it all. I'm just worried, man. There's too much fire and smoke with this Tim Tebow thing. I hope Lawrence is getting the snaps inside the 10 yard line. I'm going to be pissed if he's not, but I think it's now a question. And as much as I do know and love the urban Meyer offense, that thing was broke and they had to bring in Ryan day to fix it a couple years ago. I'm not sure if urban is, you know, really going to be letting uh Bavel and Schottenheimer actually put in there, uh, you know, Paul Prince on it. So it's very close. You know, it's funny with some of these uh, conversations, we're just really having to pick one over the other and they're right next to each other in the rankings and yeah. all. But I really do think uh, if you can't afford to take two, two quarterbacks uh, in your one QB leagues pairing up Lance with our next guy. I want to talk about Kirk cousins is the move rich. I, I just look at my rankings every day and want to move up cousins higher his start to the season Bengals, Cardinals, Seahawks, Browns, yep. Lions, Panthers, Cowboys. He's got to be your late again. I know if you're just drafting one quarterback, okay. You're not worried about Kirk cousins. If you are going to do my strategy though, and take Lance and pair someone else, it's gotta be cousins. He's the guy, the bridge guy. So if you have, let's say, I mean, so in this, in a six bench, like, you know, format six to seven guys, like I, if I'm a one quarterback, like there's no way I'm going to use one of those spots on a quarterback. I'm just going to use it on something that's higher upside uh, for my roster, because literally I've run a weekly level, having the highest scoring quarterback provides the least amount of positional leverage as having the highest score in any other position. We know that it's been kind of burned into our brains, but if you have these deeper benches and obviously if you're in a super flex league or two quarterback league, Cousins is definitely the guy you pair with one of these guys. And for the reasons you laid out, not just the schedule, but I mean, Cousins is, is good, man. He's, he's a real life punching bag, but he's thrown 25 or more passing touchdowns in six straight years. He's been fifth and sixth in the league in passing points per attempt uh, the past two years. He's seventh and third in yards per pass attempt the past two years. It's just a volume stance that, that limits him, but he's been good. He's been a good player. Uh, and then you bring up the schedule points with the Vikings. Kirk Cousins has played 19 games against uh, bottom 10 defenses. Uh, he's averaged 9.4 yards per pass attempt, 278.3 passing yards per game in those contests uh, compared to 7.2 yards per attempt, 245.9 yards per game. Otherwise uh, he is the bridge guy, man. I wish I had something to combat your lead into this <laughs> as another player, but he is, if you're, yeah. if you really want to hold Justin Fields or Trey Lance, 
Kirk Cousins is the bridge. Yeah, 100%. And he is a very good real-life quarterback that nobody respects as such. Never since he, yeah, since he joined the Vikings. Seventh he's among, like a weirdo, man. Yeah, he is kind of a weirdo. And I, he I mean, loves Nickelback. He couldn't. He had to do the gender reveal and couldn't even hit the ball, uh, the balloon or whatever it was. Uh, you know, he's oh my all, God. He's all, he's all, <laughs> I haven't tweeted the gender reveal video out in like six months. And it's been six months too long because, yeah. <laughs> No, like his Q rating. If we had quarterback Q ratings, like Kirk Cousins would be at the bottom. Like <laughs> no one likes, no one likes him. But yeah, the most impressive thing about his stats that I found though, he's fourth in adjusted completion rate in this group and he has thrown the ball downfield. It's not this Jimmy mm-hmm. G drew Brees, you know, check down Charlie type of situation. Like cousins is legit making like those $90 million throws far more often. than I think people give him credit for, and Hey, you know, Mike Zimmer is trying to fix that defense. I'm not exactly sure if Patrick Peterson's corpse is going to be the, you know, spot that takes them from bad to average. I know they want to be a run first offense, but that's what makes this early season schedule. So great. We're not just talking about terrible teams. We do have the lions and Panthers in there, but the Cowboys, Seahawks, Cardinals, Bengals, these are great offenses with not very good defenses. We're going to see some totals, baby. Yeah. Totals in the high fifties. <laughs> dare I say, even starting with a six, perhaps. All right, Rich got a couple more questions here. Uh, two quarterbacks available in the late QB 20 range. I'm sure if you people are in one QB leagues, you're not touching them regardless, nor should you Carson Wentz, Sam Darnold, both objectively bad last year, much better situations. Are you drinking the Kool-Aid on either player having a good comeback here? Uh, it's, it's tough. Uh, I have a real hard time with Wentz just because it's not a one-year thing with Wentz. Like he's really been kind of a bad quarterback except for 2017, which people credit to Frank Reich, but he did the Justin Herbert thing at a way higher level. He was just a massive outlier in winning on long downs and distances. And that regressed and he's never got it back over the course of his career. And also, I mean, look at this Colts like surrounding group of skill players. Yeah. The offensive line is better than what he had, but, uh, not a lot. This, this group doesn't do a lot for me. You know, the, the Pittman Hilton Paris Campbell, I think that there's a case to be made for, you know, Pittman and Campbell being better and beating ADP, but I don't think any of those guys are like world beating type receivers that are going to elevate a guy like Carson Wentz or having Carson Wentz and vice versa, elevate those guys. And the tight ends aren't really that exciting either. I mean, we all want the, the Moali Cox to finally be utilized, but the this is the year then on avoiding that. I mean, they've got captain Jack Doyle, who's going to catch a six yard pass and fall down. Um, but I'm just not excited about Carson Wentz really on any level. Uh, I mean, Sam Darnold, the same way. I mean, you look at him, he's like, what are we supposed to latch onto here? Uh, he, sure. He hasn't been like afforded much help, but I mean, he's been the QB 34, the QB 26 and the QB 39 in points per game through three seasons in the league last year from a clean pocket. He averaged 6.3 yards per pass attempt. It was ahead of only Mike Glennon and Nick Foles. Uh, you know, yeah, he's going to have a lot better options here in Carolina. I think it helps him. Uh, the one thing I will say about Darnold, though, is you're going to know right away. If you're in your two QB league or if you yeah. somehow talk yourself into going one quarterback into streaming him, that opening schedule is what you kind of are looking at. We'll know right away if he's going to bounce back or not. Uh, you know, what he opens with the, the revenge game, the jets who have, you know, a terrible secondary Robert Salah might be a wizard, but we'll have to find out, you know, then he gets the Texans and the Cowboys. Like we're going to know really right away, like how the Sam Darnold thing is going to go. And we're not going to have to sit on the fence and, you know, hem and haw about this a month into the season. Like we are going to know basically three weeks in the season, like, is this going to happen for him or not? And is he going to be a guy? I would say there's enough intrigue there uh, to at least say maybe he taps into something that we saw when he was as a prospect. He's also a guy that also, when I go back to my quarterback model, he doesn't really grade highly. Like he was never really an objectively great prospect either, which doesn't help me really latch onto it. But uh, I do like a number of the Carolina players and I do kind of believe in so the system they're trying to establish. And obviously you get Christian McCaffrey too. If you could just dump it off to him enough, you might be okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm really only looking at it from a schedule stance. If you squint and I can look at the Darnold schedule and say, okay, I'll at least bite on that a little bit. Uh, but both guys I think are kind of a stretch for me to like fully latch onto get those first three games and send him off. It'd be so much easier to get behind Donald. If he wasn't so badly outplayed by Joe Flacco in the exact same atrocious situation yeah. last year, people like that's the problem. And Flacco, like one of the biggest problems with Donald, I know the jets O-line has not been good. I wouldn't call them good by any stretch, but as a, as a PFF, like we've shown over the years, like pressure tends to be more of a QB stat. We all know how much better of an athlete Sam Donald is than Joe Flacco. Why was Donald averaging 2.9 sacks for 
game last year. And Flacco was at 1.8. It's because Darnold holds on to the damn ball for too long. And I'm a sucker for, you know, your quarterbacks that, you know, show off the backyard playmaking off script ability. You know, that's why I still talk about drew lock on this podcast and people are probably tired about it, but Darnold, man, you see it every once in a while, but all we can really go back to is like that four game stretch at the end of 2018, where he was doing that a little more often. And even then he was like an average, you know, average to above average fantasy quarterback for four games and three year sample. Maybe you can make those first three weeks happen. And Hey, if I'm wrong on this and it ends up being a, you know, change of scenery situation. Great. But from what we've seen so far, I'm with you. Their offensive line sucks too. Like if you were to compare, honestly, the Jets, off- the Jets offensive line right now, if he was to stay in the Jets, the Jets offensive line it has is constructed today versus the Panthers is a no contest. Yeah. It's a no contest of which offensive line is better. Unreal. Rich, complete, <laughs> complete this sentence. Ryan Tannehill will finish as a top blank quarterback in 2021. Uh, top eight, top eight, eight. I don't know if that's, if it's that, I don't know if that's spicy enough. I like not, it. But, I was going to say 12. Uh, so you beat me. He's easily my favorite quarterback at draft cost this summer. He's my most drafted quarterback to this point. Uh, even with efficiency regression last year off of his 2019 season, he still closed 2020 as a QB 10 in points per game. He's now been a top 10 weekly fantasy score in 16 of his 26 starts with the Titans. He was third in points per drop back last year after being second in points or drop back the year before um, he gets so where Ryan Tannehill wins, and you know this being a PFF guy, is on the intermediate levels. His like EPA on throws to the intermediate levels is so insane. And as part of that is, you know, the dare the play action, Derrick Henry stuff. You know, you suck defenses in, you throw right over linebackers, and you just crush it. Well, who was the number one wide receiver in intermediate EPA last year? It was Julio Jones. So we add a perfect marriage of weaponry with a guy that we're already high on and has been efficient. Uh, pair him with a with one of our favorites, Arthur Juan Brown. Uh, he's got two top 10, basically wide receivers in terms of talent. Uh, we don't know Julio so much as a wide receiver one in terms of fantasy anymore, but in terms of talent, um, you know, Julio still averaged hundred yards receiving per game is healthy games last year. He can still play. Um, the one thing with Tannehill that is interesting in the Titans in general is this chicken and egg stuff uh, between their offense efficiency and Arthur Smith. And we're going to get a lot of clarity on this year. I tend to side with players more than coaches on this stuff. I believe that Arthur Smith was able to have a lot of success. I believe he's a good coach, but he was a lot of success because he had Derrick Henry, Arthur Juan, you know, uh, you know, Tannehill playing good football ball will the falcons be able to roll over all the efficiency that just the titans had i don't believe so and that's you know your transitive property narrative that you always see with these coaching uh fallacies i think Arthur smith's fine good coach probably he deserves some credit for coaxing uh you know this revamped uh production from Ryan Tannehill, but Ryan Tannehill still in the same offensive weapon he's had. You add Julio Jones. Uh, I believe the coaching staff is not ignorant enough to say like, Oh, we just did this for two years. We're going to do this all differently. There's, yeah. there's no way like that's not going to happen. Uh, so, I mean, I, and then you talk about, Tannehill's situation. We talked about the weaponry. Uh, he's got a healthier offensive line. That offensive line was banged up last year. He still has Derrick Henry he plays in the AFC South, which we love. And their defense objectively is going to be subpar again. Uh, you know, we, maybe we'll get some more games like they had against the Browns last year, uh, you know, where we got Tannehill even throwing the ball more. And then, you know, obviously with Derrick Henry's impact on this offense, you know, they one no one wants Derrick Henry to get hurt. I don't either, but if you were to miss some time, this Get offense hell out. drastically changes. Yeah. It drastically changes in the, in the ball is uh, in Ryan Tannehill's hands more and he's mobile. So uh, I, I'm all in on the Tannehill uh, fantasy outlook this season. I think the point about like, why, I know Arthur Smith is gone. It's not ideal. Why do we expect the offense to look different? I mean, if we were bringing in an offensive coordinator from someone else that had a history of running a different offense. Okay. Tom Downing has been the Titans tight end coach for the past two years. What was Arthur Smith before he got the offensive coordinator job? Their tight end coach. Like it's, it would make sense for them to run pretty much the same offense that that's been successful. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And until we have a reason to believe Tannehill won't be a top 10 quarterback, which he's been for the past two years. I don't think we should be treating him as anything different. And it is funny how, you know, we get injury predictor Twitter out here saying, you know, Mixon, Carson, Henry, whoever it is, you know, whoever the flavor of the week is that we're going to say is only going to be there for three games. If you really believe in that by yourself, like, react accordingly. If you think Chris Carson is going to play five games and get hurt, you should be loading up on the Seahawks pass catchers. Same way in Tennessee. If you think, you know, the 400 touch curse is going to be real. Never mind that Henry had 400 plus touches, including playoffs in 2019 seemed just fine in 2020. I won't get into that, but again, people, if you want to make that stand, maybe go ahead and look at how the ramifications might be if it comes to fruition. 
Rich, fantastic stuff. I have one quick round, true or false. I know you're long-winded, so if you want to go off, go off, King. But if you can, keep it to just a sentence or two of reasoning. First up, Baker Mayfield will finish as a top 12 signal caller, true or false? I'll say false. I mean, he'll be, he's just the guy that we still want to stream and pick our spots. Yeah. He's still better against spots that teams uh, that cannot rush the passer. Uh, and he just doesn't have that rushing equity. Uh, he's in that very much of a, of uh, the Kirk cousins mold yeah. that we talked about. Pick your spots with them. Agreed. Somehow drafted as the QB four in 2019, how quickly Baker has fallen down Tua cements his status as the dolphins franchise QB this year. I'm in from a reality stance. I think he still makes more of a real life jump than a fantasy jump uh, in terms of being a consistent QB one in fantasy. He's another guy. I think that's going to be a guy you pick your spots with, but he finally just has guys that could get open. I mean, this, this, this kid was pressed into throwing passes to Jakeem Grant and, you know, uh, uh, dirt, dirt, uh, dirt and Smythe or whoever his name is. I don't even, is that his name? He's, he, drew, he was like his fourth highest Lynn Bowden is oh, man. guys that can get out. Will Fuller, Jalen Waddle guys that can get open. And, uh, definitely buying him being better. And real quick, just to help uh, continue to spread some fake news on this podcast. <laughs> one of my favorite uh, fake tweets from the day to a wildly overthrew a 10 yard out route to Jalen Waddle and hit a fan in the face. The fan appears to be bleeding heavily and is receiving medical attention. <laughs> Come on people. <laughs> don't fall for this. Next one. Injury potential aside. Ryan Fitzpatrick starts 17 games. I, I mean, if I was a betting man, I would, I would say false. Just, okay. I mean, I would take the under as I was betting. Uh, we're all Fitz magic fans. The Fitz magic war rig is absolutely real too. Like yeah. you should be yeah. excited about Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel, uh, even Antonio Gibson, uh, even though they'll probably throw more inside the 10 this year than they did last year. Uh, but let's not pretend that Ryan Fitzpatrick for all the love we have for him is not capable of self-sabotage either. Yeah. Uh, and then when you look at the situation that he's pressed in this year, on this Washington football team paired with a good defense, a good offensive line. This might not be the complete hair on fire. Fitzpatrick we've come to know and love either as well. It might be a little more reined in version uh, of the beard. Uh, I'm, I don't want to speak negative on him. I don't want to turn into a negative. <laughs> thing. I'm just saying, if you were asking me to bet the over under on a full season, I would have to default take the under. That's fair. And you know, I have been <laughs> hyping up uh, a lot as like one of the prime late round QBs. I will say though, usually when yeah. I'm actually in the course of a draft, I end up being able to get Baker or Kirk cousins at a more reasonable cost. And I just take them over fits. Like we could, yeah, a lot of people target fits. Yeah. We could imagine how it works out, but it's been booming a hell of a lot more than busting in recent history. Probably shouldn't necessarily assume that's going to keep on keeping on. All right. Daniel Jones looks more like the guy we saw in 2019 compared to 2020 True or false. I mean, it, it just, it, it just self-corrected. I mean, year one, he had a 5.2% touchdown rate when it should have been more like in the low fours than last year. Uh, the way regression works just sapped him completely at a two and a half percent touchdown rate. He threw 8.6 fewer touchdown passes than his expectation. Only Teddy Bridgewater and Cam Newton were worse. Um, but where Daniel Jones, he has to prove to me, because a lot of people keep calling this Josh Allen and uh, Daniel Jones, like corollary, uh, we're Daniel Jones has to make this leap though, is in terms of uh, pocket presence and in the red zone. I mean, this dude has just absolutely no feel for the pocket whatsoever. Uh, and then when they, when the giants get close to the paint, I mean, he's just been absolutely dreadful uh, both years. I mean, even last year he threw seven touchdown passes on 54 pass attempts in the red zone. Uh, just 18 of those 54 pass attempts came inside the 10 yard line. You hope a guy like Kenny Galladay can open that up, maybe win as a clasher, but he's really all they added that wins in that area of the field. Um, so, I mean, I want to keep a candle on for Daniel Jones because he kind of fits like that mold of like, he could run a little bit, but also the thing that giants don't do is they don't use him as a runner. He is in through two years. Daniel Jones has four career rushing attempts inside the 10 yard line for a team that has struggled to score so many damn touchdowns. Why wouldn't they use him more when you're and he's forcing passes to Evan Ingram in the, you know, in the paint, uh, you, the one thing he did, he's mobile, use him, use his legs, Jason Garrett, uh, cue your picture that you'd send out every like Thursday about Jason Garrett on the train, you know, uh, what the hell's going on? I, I want to believe in Daniel Jones. Cause I think he'd be fun at his ceiling. I, we just have a pretty large sample of him being really bad. 
once I am fully moved into my new Cincinnati apartment, I will have that Jason Garrett train picture framed and then the background accordingly. Yeah, 29 fumbles over the past two years for Daniel Jones. Please spare me the touchdown interception ratio comparison without including that people be better. But yeah, it was funny. Uh, like the only reason why Jones was kind of like streamable for certain weeks last year was because of his rushing. And we talked about how Kyler fell off after the shoulder injury. When Jones had that hamstring injury, man, like the same thing happened. This offense has stopped being able to move the ball. It's great. We got some more weapons in there, but when Jason Garrett and PFF single worst ranked offensive line going to the year are involved, I'm going to pass my favorite, my favorite Daniel Jones anecdote. And you can Google this. It's real quick. Last year in a non-contact practice, he, he got strip sacked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I, I think my favorite one is that Dak Prescott scored more total touchdowns last year than Daniel Jones. Oh, it's rough, man. It's rough. At first, it I thought, tough year. at first, I thought it was a tie, and I sent out the tweet and stuff, and I was getting you know a ton of love, and then I realized I was like, holy shit, I forgot Dak's receiving touchdown. It was actually more. We'll get better. Last two, Taysom Hill wins the Saints QB job outright, starts from week one on. I'm going to actually say no, even though it's popular, it's yeah. yes. Now, I want Taysom Hill to be the quarterback because for fantasy, I just believe I'd rather have Taysom Hill start and just know I've got my safe bet of points, and then I'll run into some spike weeks, as opposed to Jameis. If Jameis starts, like, what do you do on a week-to-week <laughs> basis with Jameis without Michael Thomas, like, with this weaponry? Like, there, there's no way. There's just no stable floor. At least with Taysom Hill, we know there's a floor. But I actually believe that they're going to start Jameis, with, and I know a lot of people have taken this Michael Thomas injury and said the opposite. but So the way Taysom Hill plays, it's great if you want to do that for like a month, like they did last year and bridge till Drew Brees comes back. They did it with Teddy Bradwater the year before where the Saints just went ultra conservative and because they knew Brees was coming back. Now, if you try to do that for a full 17 game season and play that way, I just think there's so much fragility to do that. Uh, And the Saints can't be successful over the course of the season doing that. It's just way too much to say that we're going to play turnover free football, try to limit possessions, um, try to cut the mistakes down. I don't think that that's a stable way to approach playing football uh, like like people believe it is. and I believe they're going to want to go for a little more upside, even though there's a lot more downside with yeah. James Winston. Uh, but there's just a lot more upside from a passing fans. We seen uh, there was a DB quote from this week that talked about Taysom Hill uh, on first reads. And I think that you guys do as a PFF stat, he was no, by number one in first read pass attempts, like by a, a tremendous margin. Uh, and then you just can't play football like that. You just, I don't believe you can play. You can do it for a month and get to when Drew Brees comes back. But if you're going to come into the season and say, we're going to do this for 17 games and be a playoff team, I don't think, I don't believe that that's possible. We're talking about when we think of Kirk Cousins, we think of the terrible gender reveal throw. When I think of Taysom Hill, I think of that triple crow hop throw to Emmanuel Sanders, who's like 10 yards behind everyone. He has to come sprinting back to the ball in order to catch it. And that was like his longest completion of the season. Yeah, it it was just so gimmicky. And Taysom, like, it's annoying because he's actually, he's a really fun, like, like if he wasn't so annoying for us in fantasy, I feel like people would love Taysom Hill, like for someone to be able to play that many positions. And he's so physical, like the whole alpha male jackhammer bit, the saints Twitter did a couple of years ago, like all that stuff is great. But when it takes away from everyone else, it becomes such a problem. But yeah, if he wins the job, now that Michael Thomas is out of the picture, I'm not worried about, you know, Taysom really messing up Alvin Kamara. They just don't have anyone else to give the ball mm-hmm. to at that point. So Taysom wins that job. We're going to be, you know, it might not be pretty, but we'll be taking those uh, rush attempts and fantasy land. That's for sure. Finally, rich last question. You've been fantastic. Big Ben enables not one, not two, but three top 30 PPR receivers in history would tell us probably turns in a decent enough season himself. Yeah. I mean, I I'll say false. I mean, I just think that there's too much of a signal from the Steelers. Like the Steelers are literally trying to tell us that they don't want to have the passing splits they've had the past two years with Ben. Uh, then they're, they're going to, they're going to run the ball more. Also Najee Harris is a great receiver. So they're probably going to throw to him more than they threw to their running backs. Uh, and then also, I mean, they're, they might even run more 12 personnel with the addition of Pat Fryermuth. Like they could run more 12 personnel. We're expecting, um, I mean, I think that the Steelers wide receivers are all really great players. I love them all. I've had a really tough time though at clicking the button on any of them at ADP when presented other opportunities around those guys. I always just find myself talking myself into the stability of someone else around them more. Um, but I mean, I just feel like the Steelers are genuinely, genuinely really trying to tell us 
like they're not going to throw the football as much as they did last year. And I do think it's a good practice to look at, you know, these teams that have the wide receivers with high ADPs and the tight ends with high ADPs and the quarterback has the low one and three, you know, big, there's like four examples this year. I say Pittsburgh to an extent, I think people are kind of putting Claypool and Juju down enough so they don't necessarily qualify, but Washington, the Falcons and the Vikings are these teams that we really expect to have great fantasy players in their offense, not necessarily have a great fantasy quarterback. And since 2010, when we look Look at teams that had three at least top 24 wide receivers or and or a, a top 12 tight end 16 of 20 of those quarterbacks were also top 12 signal callers so i know ben didn't look great last year and all that this was still the 12th rank scoring offense people i'm just saying if we start seeing this pittsburgh offense you know turning it up a little bit and all three receivers doing well it's gonna mean big ben's gonna be pretty well himself but you know when we look at sam darnold or a situation like that maybe you can take the opposite opposite approach and say hold on should we be that high in dj more robbie anderson etc etc rich fantastic you remember, yeah remember we did this like two two years ago when eli manning when the giants had everyone going in like the top two yep. three rounds it was odell <laughs> saquon and evan ingram at the point when he was so hot and had the high adp everyone was like look at all the adps of these guys eli manning eli manning and, uh it's just tough man and it, it, it's, it's really it's real hard to just kind of go down there but if, if all those Steelers do get there though like you said it will be as a by, byproduct like ben had to play well himself Oh, yeah. And it's, we just got to figure out which way we're going. Sometimes people are like, how are we not more in on Ben? It's like, well, maybe we shouldn't be as in on those other guys. Well, Rich, mm-hmm. everyone can find you on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You just came out with a great article called not all targets are created equal. It's one, you know, we've had targets and carries and just the same old stats for a while. They're not equal. And we need to, you know, reference that. And one of the things I love doing is this like running back opportunity score where we mm-hmm. weigh targets more appropriately with the fancy points. They're expected exactly what you were able to do with targets, you know, end zone downfield, all that. Everyone make sure you go check that out over at sharpfootballanalysis.com. I'm sure you have plenty more goodness on the way throughout the off season. Thanks so much, man. And any uh, final thoughts or uh, content you want to get off your chest? No, I mean, it was great. You having me on, uh, I'll be excited to see you in a few weeks, uh, in Canton, sure. uh, just check out myself, sharpfootballanalysis.com. I've got tons of free stuff up there, even though uh, we'll be switching to more subscriber content this last month, but I've got literally over 70 free articles up on a site that you could go Ooh. back and check in that, that will not be paywalled or anything. So you can go check that stuff out. Get to it people again at Lord Reeves. The one, the only Rich Rebar. Great stuff, man. Thank you again. Thank you all for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. New episodes every single day. And like I said, first of many more positional overview pods gets you all ready to go win some more leagues this year. So he's Rich. I'm Ian. Until next time, take care, everybody. 